Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is episode 160. It is the 8th of May and loaded show for you guys coming up. It is a Friday show and the vibes are good. We just had National Cabinet. We'll be talking about that in a second. We've also got on the quiz today, Research Fellow Kian Hussey and Generation Liberty Co- Campus Coordinator Anjali Natarajan. Uh, really great quiz. And then at the end of the show, we've got another draft, which are one of our more popular segments, I've got to say, at the moment. And with Research Fellow Morgan Begg, we're going to be drafting just uh, the world's greatest band. And mm. I am so happy with how it went for me. I, I, I reckon I wiped the floor with everyone, but uh, that's later on the show. Uh, we got National Cabinet. We got Cedar uh, Meats. Uh, we why do I have so much trouble pronouncing that? Anyway, um, no, you said it right for once. I said it right, it right that right. one. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, so yeah, as uh, alluded to, National Cabinet just happened. We recorded the rest of the show earlier today, but we wanted to wait around because everyone's going to be talking about what happened in National Cabinet today. So Peter Gregory, tell us what happened. Yeah, exactly right, James. National Cabinet just took place and ScoMo had his press conference and we were all over it. So he said, today our focus is on the road back. Today we have put Australia in a position to go forward. Uh, We've strengthened our health system and put the protections in place. He outlined the three-step plan that Australians uh, are going to undertake to get back to our normal state of affairs. I'll give you a few highlights of state one. There's obviously a lot of details, so I won't go through them all. But the highlights of stage one or step one is five visitors allowed at home, 10 in businesses and public places. So uh, work at home if it suits you and your employer. Restaurant and cafes open up to 10 people. Retailers open. Schools open. Childcare centres open as per state and territory regulations. Local and regional travel for recreation is now back on the cards, which people will enjoy. Weddings up to 10 people are back on the cards. Funerals bumped up to 20 people with 30 people allowed outside because I know that's a very serious issue for some people who are mourning someone who's lost, who's, who's passed away. Unfortunately, pubs still closed. If you want to have a bit of a carry-on with your mates, go to their house. Uh, but, of course, the most important thing is is watching Australians discover federalism in real time and the fact that actually ScoMo is not in charge and these are just guidelines that the states can decide whether or not they're going to follow or not. So it's, it's funny to watch that occur. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So it's good hearing Prime Minister just go stuff like every job is essential, which it is, and it's good them also going like, uh, this is how we're going to get the 850,000 jobs restored uh, by the end of the timeline. So people are thinking about jobs, people are thinking about employment, people uh, thinking about how to get Australians back to work. But like, I like having a plan because we didn't before, but now that all political responsibility just basically relies on where the states want to go with it, I don't know exactly what was advanced today. Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of, I think over the next, over the weekend, all the state governments will make their announcements about which parts of that they're going to follow. So by yeah, the time Kieran Gilbert, this- now nah, Kieran Gilbert's tweeted out a few things. So Queensland this afternoon to announce reopening of cafes and restaurants to small groups, ACT to announce relaxation of gathering rules for this weekend, but not cafes and restaurants yet. Victoria, uh, Daniel Andrews said he's not announcing anything until Monday. And even when he announces on Monday, it's not going to be like immediate. It's going to be stuff that's going to be dragged out for a little while. So, yeah, I, I just kind of still feel we're in the same timeline of there are some states like uh, West Australia and South Australia, which are really pushing forward on and Northern Territory, who could forget Michael Gunner, uh, easing restrictions. But uh, Victoria and New South Wales are still going to be uh, dragging their feet. And, you know, 
especially Victoria, which has been lost to the table on pretty much every easing of restrictions. I still feel like we're going to end up like that SpongeBob meme where Squidward's inside watching SpongeBob and Patrick have fun outside and he's all locked up. So I don't know. Maybe it's better that like it puts more pressure on Victoria that every other state or territory is following this stage by stage timeline and Victorians can chart that we're actually behind on every single stage and that puts its own pressure on the Victorian government to loosen up restrictions. But I just don't know if we're any closer to uh, some of the more petty stuff being repealed than we were like 10 hours ago. Yeah, well, I mean, if people are stuck in lockdown still, they can think about what exactly that meme you just talked about actually means. But the thing about this, as some people have suggested, is that it's a bit of a political ploy because ScoMo thinks we should be further along or wants to push things a little bit further along than the premiers. Um, he's a different view on that than them. And so he's sort of putting the pressure on them a little bit, saying this is what we should be doing and, and, and hoping that, as you have sort of pointed out, that the people in, that, in those states will be pressuring their yeah, premiers. Yeah, just on I, that... Just on that, one of the best parts of the press conference is where a journalist goes, would you advise state premiers to hold their nerve on future outbreaks? And ScoMo just goes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so he's, you know, he's been pretty open about it. Uh, but I reckon you know, the deal was we're going to flatten the curve. We've got to set the health system up so that it can deal with coronavirus uh, infections. That has happened. We haven't just flattened the curve. We've absolutely eviscerated it and smashed it with a really big sledgehammer. So if New South Wales and Victoria want to not introduce these restrictions they have to explain what the change in the plan is and how long it's going to take if it's going to be well we're not going to reopen fully until there's no coronavirus infections at all uh, and there's a vaccine in place then they have to explain to people how long they think that's going to last because this is not the deal the deal was we've got to flatten the curve the curve's been flattened so you know, yeah it's like yeah, yeah, the whole, like, are we doing this to give us time to build ventilators and hospital beds or are we doing this to get rid of coronavirus uh, completely? So, mm. look, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it was a bit of a fizzer today. I, I, the crystallizing of a plan is good, but, uh, yeah, it's still, you know, it's it's still the same restrictions that we have already. But who knows what Andrew's government announces on Monday and who knows what premiers say over the weekend about it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, so, like I said, uh, we now go to the rest of the show, which we recorded earlier today. So I'm going to throw it over to uh, Past Bolt, who is, by the way, looking quite good today. Thanks, mate. You too. Uh, now, the other big story that we should talk about uh, at the start of the show before we get into likes and dislikes is uh, set of Meatworks. Did I say that right, Pete? Because in pre-recording, I, I said it quite I, embarrassingly. Yeah, in our production meeting, James said Cheddar Meatworks, which was obviously wrong. But I still think you said it wrong. I think it's Cedar Meatworks, isn't it? Cedar Meatworks. Why am I having so much trouble with that? Anyway, I don't know. Tell you who else, I know my Meatworks, though. So I'll tell you who else who is having uh, trouble pronouncing Cedar Meatworks is Andrew's government, because that oh. is what the story has been. I did not plan that, by the way. That's what the story has been. So, I mean, we all know Victoria's had the most... Uh, the, the most restrictive lockdown measures in place. And when a teacher at Meadow Glen got coronavirus, we knew within two hours which school it was. But then Cedar Meatworks comes out that it, there's been something bubbling away for a while. They've had a case reported a few weeks ago, and now it's at 62. And pressure's become on the government of like, why didn't you name Cedar Meatworks? Why didn't you bring more attention to this? What was with the handling? And then the Australian re reports that uh, when one of the founders of Cedar Meats died in 2010, three MPs who are now part of the Andrews government paid tribute with condolence motions in Parliament. And uh, it's a bit of a scandal, Pete. 
Yeah, I think it's the the thing that gets me is the the playing of politics with this, which is clearly what they're doing. They don't want to open schools because they're under pressure from the education unions. So they straight away made a huge issue of that teacher getting coronavirus, even though the teacher had not been at the school. But with this, as you mentioned, they swept it under the carpet. O'Brien, who's the opposition leader here in Victoria, suggested that it could be connected to the $15,000 donation that Cedar Meatworks has made to the government. Who knows if that's true or not? To me, it's just they've clearly dealt with this differently from the school. Clearly. And the only thing I can think of for the reason for that is because they were playing politics with the school and they should be playing politics with this issue. Yeah, like you, I'm definitely not going to get into the why kind of thing, but uh, definitely Mm. the how because, yeah, exactly right. Uh, If the rules are the second a place of business gets someone with coronavirus, we all know about it, then that has to be the rule the entire way or it's not the rule the entire way. And they came out that like, oh, we said Meadow Glen because parents will want to know that they're sending their children to school in a place, but no one wants to know where their meets were like put together because yeah. coronavirus can ex- uh, can't exist on surfaces apparently. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. It's there's I, mean, I, I would be flabbergasted to know what the not flabbergasted, but I'd, be, I'd I'd love to hear what their reasoning is for not naming the meatworks, but they've named the school. Yeah, the Andrews one yesterday was like, oh, well, we said schools because uh, you'd be concerned, which is why we didn't mention sediment. Yeah, but, like I'd also like to know where my meat comes from. That doesn't uh, stack up. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, big story, but we've been running long with National Cabinet, I assume. We're recording this earlier in the day. So why don't we move on to uh, something that uh, really got your goat this week, Pete? Uh, yeah, got my goat. I don't know. It's it's not it's not like a uh, got my goat like someone said something stupid. It's it's a it's a serious issue. So uh, a report coming out of the TB Partnership in collaboration, that's Tuberculosis Partnership, in collaboration with Imperial College, uh, Avenir Health, John Hopkins University and USAID produced a report outlining the extra TB cases that will occur around the world as a result of coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, because of the lockdown, the study found that in the worst case scenario, 6.3 million worldwide cases would be caused in the next five years. And that was based on a three-month lockdown followed by a 10-month recovery until normal tuberculosis services resume. In the best case scenario, they looked at a two-month lockdown and a two-month recovery. There would be about a one point. 1.8 million new cases of TB by 2025 as a result specifically of the lockdown. Uh, the report found that the worst case scenario, 1.37 million people could die. And in the best case scenario, that would be 342,500 deaths. Uh, so, and the new coronavirus pandemic would cause a setback of five to eight years in the fight against TB. Now, only time will tell if that study is correct. Studies are just studies and models are just models and all that. Uh, but it's just one more reason why the economic, the economy versus lives meme is stupid yeah exactly and the whole thing about you can't let the cures be worse than the disease itself mm. uh yeah i, I mean it's, it's a really sad story i don't want to spend too much time on it because like it is a friday show and i'm trying to keep my vibes happening and then stuff like this comes out and i get really really sad really quickly uh mm. so i'm happy to move on unless you want to make any more points about this one just the point that this is just one disease Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to likes and dislikes. So we do heroes and villains on Tuesday show. On Friday, it's more likes and dislikes. Get it. Uh, Pete, what have you liked this week? My like this week, it was revealed in The Age that Senator James Patterson, friend of the show, is a, he is a key member of the Parliamentary Friends of Democracy group, which is a bipartisan interest group started by MPs sharing a belief that Australia should push back against China. Now, that's a good thing in and of itself, but the thing I really like about this is that their mascot and kind of their nickname for themselves is the Wolverine. Now, the Wolverine is its mascot and it's identified by a claw mark which has appeared on stickers around Parliament. Now, the reason this was a story is because the new, uh, the new 
Over the lockdown, they've recruited a couple of new members, Matt Canavan, Matt Canavan, another friend of the show, and South Australian Senator Alex Antich. And James was quoted in the age as saying, I've printed off new stickers to hand out. So I just like that there's, obviously I like you know pushing back against China because they're evil regime, the, communist China, the Chinese Communist Party, but also that their gang is called Wolverine and they've got stickers. Yeah, uh, that's, that's it for me because like, it's such a good call calling themselves the Wolverines because I don't care what the group is. If they're called the Wolverines, I want in. Like it yeah. could be we just gather on Wednesdays and watch Kevin Rudd speeches, but if they're called the Wolverines, <laughs> I will be at these meetings. Yeah, what like what is there? Do they have like a cheer and stuff and like a handshake? I want in. I want to know. <laughs> they, better I want in. A, they better have both. Uh, like yeah. that's that would be next level. We can ask right, James uh, next time he's on. My like this week. Good old-fashioned political dust-up. We needed one. It's been a while. We just need something to take our mind off coronavirus for one afternoon, and the National Party has provided us with that. So I'm sure you're all following, but the story developed so quickly. I'll just quickly recap it. So Ida Monaro, the by-election's coming up. Nationals and Liberals are trying to figure out who's running for it. John Barillaro for the Nationals was running. Then, uh, then he's not. Then next day, texts that he sent to Michael McCormack, who's the leader of the Nationals uh, federally, they come out. A uh, few choice messages to feel threatened. This is Barilara writing to McCormack. To feel threatened by me clearly shows you failed your team and failed as a leader. You'll never be acknowledged by me as a leader. You aren't. You never will be. Delicious. Then uh, another batch of texts come out of all these other nationals going, what do we do? And one guy saying, why don't we just get Barilara's wife to run because we all like her, which is... Uh, you know, again, like any text message slightly related to this is coming out. Uh, then Andrew Constance is running. Then he's not because he pulled out of the Eden Monaro pre-selection battle because a Sydney newspaper reported on his front page that Deputy Premier John Barillaro had used a crude word uh, to describe him to colleagues. And he said, uh, you read the paper like I did this morning, you go, nah, stuff that I hadn't signed up to contest federally to be called that type of smear. Which, you know, no one wants to be called smears, but uh, if... Andrew Constance ever wants to become a member of the Young IPA podcast. I mean, there's a few harsh truths that get delivered in the uh, wrap-up meetings and I just worry if he's <laughs> <laughs> uncomfortable with being called a smear, whether he's really cut out for the game with us. Uh, and then now none of them are running. Constance is out, Barilaro is out, Jim Mullen's out, Tony Abbott got rumoured for a hot three hours. So just an absolute, uh, you know, cluster of uh, stories what, coming sorry? out. <laughs> just a cluster. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, all these stories coming out, all these text messages getting leaked, everyone's up in arms, no one's discussing politics, uh, policy, it's all personal and political, yeah. and it just uh, just gave you something to think about that wasn't coronavirus. Yeah, it reminds us of simpler days, doesn't it? You know, we used yeah. to complain about pollies fighting with each other and changing Prime Minister every five minutes, but you know, what, what we wouldn't give to go back to the good old days of of that. Yeah, exactly. Just leaked videos about politicians swearing at staff members. Just bring them and, and back. I like the complete absence of policy and, and philosophy. The most petty it got for me was when it got leaked that Barilaro broke social distancing by going to his farm, which he was then like three hours later cleared of, which is yeah. just like, I'll throw any dart at the dartboard and one of them's going to stick on this bloke. Yeah, yeah, no, All exactly right. right. All right, uh, let's go dislikes, Pete. Dislikes. Now, look, let me find it for a start. So my dislike this week is Clementine Ford and Catherine Devaney getting money from the city of Melbourne uh, as part of their, uh, what was it, scheme to assist scheme to assist artists and creatives to invest in new works. Now, I, you know, I don't mind the Catherine Devaney's and Clementine Ford's of this world. It takes all sorts, doesn't it, James? But I don't necessarily think that in the middle of a global pandemic where 800,000 Australians are out of work, you know, billions of people are in house arrest, 
uh, you know, thousands of people have lost their homes and their businesses and their jobs that we necessarily have to be giving Catherine Devaney and Clementine Ford extra cash to write books about how Australia is a terrible joint. Always like it when you bang your uh, fist on the table making a point. <laughs> I was actually, I wasn't, I was just tapping the table. I wasn't. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> Not yeah, like yeah. a bang. It's uh, like, yeah, you know, especially I get because it. the way you set up your camera is just so flimsy that I always go like, this might be it. This might be the camera fall. It's meant to remind me of how precious and flimsy, not flimsy, but how precious freedom is, James, and how if we don't yes. fight for it, it can fall at any moment. But, you know. Yeah, good point. Uh, and to the story itself, uh, I'm with you. It's outrageous that that's being handed out in the middle of a pandemic when there's uh, so many people that desperately need money. But it is one of those stories like Barilaro, which just sort of tell you we're getting back to normal times because the whole, like, stupid grant that gets handed out to some writer that doesn't deserve it. This is just, oh, yeah, this is politics as usual. All right, we're, we're, we're making progress here. Well, what, uh, yeah, I, I reckon that we should get a grant. Like, what, how come we don't apply for stuff like that? We oh, the IPA doesn't uh, ask for or accept government money, Peter. Yeah, I know, that's true. I guess if the price is right. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm no of course not. I, I jest, I jest everyone. But look, if you really no. want to know about women's rights and feminism, listen to Viral Banter's edition last week of Women in Liberty. It's a Generation Liberty product. And we've got Anjali on... Next, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, outstanding that, so. plug there, Pete. All right, my dislike. Go for it. The flex, the flex tape guy is in my head. Say it again. I've been watching. The flex tape guy is in my head. Anyone who's watched Sky News for longer than fifteen minutes knows exactly who the flex tape guy is. Uh, I, I I see him when I fall asleep. I hear him when I wake up in the morning. He's completely in my head, and I want him out. This so, is like an infomercial that gets blasted every 15 minutes of a guy with just this really good seal against water. I've seen this guy cut a boat in half at least 100 times in this lockdown. I've spent more time with him than members of my family. He's in my head and I want him out. What's the product? It just seems to be a really good seal. And like he chops a boat in half, then puts it back together with a flex tape and it goes on water and it's fine. Oh, okay. And they stopped running the part of the ad where he's in shark-infested waters in the boat, which was the only electric part of the ad. He's in my head. Well, well yeah. I mean, are you in the market for that product, whatever it is? No, I I've, uh, I've, I've don't really need uh, flex tape in my very inner city life. Uh, yeah. Sorry. It's not even a good selling point to me. Okay. Well, there you go. Maybe you should watch right. the sky. Uh, no, Pete. I need to stay informed and abreast of the weekend news. All right, uh, because that would help me out with the quiz, which is coming up now. Okay, we have a absolutely loaded quiz for you guys this week. I'm excited for this. Pete's excited for this. We welcome to the show, Kian Hussey, research fellow here at the IPA. Kian, welcome. Thanks for having me. And welcome back, Anjali Natarajan, who uh, joined the show a few weeks ago, uh, one of our Generation Liberty Campus coordinators. So, Anjali, welcome back to the show. Oh, good. Um, good to be back here. Yes, awesome. So, uh, before we get into the quiz, uh, both of you have been up to some really interesting stuff in the last couple of weeks that we want to talk to. Uh, so, we'll start with you, Ken. So, Ken, you've had a bit of a battle with The Guardian Australia recently. Uh, so, tell us where this like 445% of environmental regulation stats come from and then what happened with The Guardian? Yeah, okay. So, um, my most recent research report, um, which, which we've published a couple of weeks ago, um, uses a technology called Reg Data, which was developed in the, um, at a place called the Mercator Centre in the United States. Um, and what it does is tries to um, capture the number of regulations that exist. Um, and it does this by counting the number of times that a law says words required, shall, prohibited, must, may not. 
and things like that, which are called regulatory restrictions. Um, and so it's, it's basically the most advanced method that um, we have of capturing the actual number of regulations um, that exist that constrain, you know, economic and social behaviour. Um, and so for the decadal review of the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, um, we submitted a report which has looked at the Act since the year 2000 um, and we basically calculated that the, um, the number of restrictions has increased yeah, by 445%. Um, so then what happened was um, a week after we put this out, The Guardian came out with a hit piece um, saying that it was uh, a flawed and lazy methodology, that it was developed as an ideological tool um, and that it was reg data is nothing but a political project um, to you know slash regulations. Um, so before publishing that article, the journalist contacted us to get some seek some clarification on a few things and get a few comments from us. And we kind of spelled out to him in a in an email that you can read on the IPA website that um, it's in fact not an ideologically driven project or a political project um, because it's been used by left wing and right wing think tanks. It's been used to support research that says. Um, you know, regulations are good for society and it's also been used to support research that says regulations are bad for society. Um, but in the piece, the, the Guardian journalist kind of just ignored all of that. Um, we pointed him to a number of um, studies from the Brookings Institution in America, which is a left-wing think tank uh, where they've used the research. And we said, you know, this kind of shows that it's, it's just um, a measuring tool. It's not a political tool. Um, and we also pointed to, you know, the, the reg data has been cited in um, The Economist, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal. It's been used by the President of the United States. It's been used by a number of jurisdictions across North America. Um, so yeah, The Guardian piece kind of tried to make it out that it was just some Tim Fall hat, um, you know, a shoddy metric. Um, and we pointed to all this research where it's been used and, you know, showing how rock solid it is and they just kind of ignored all that. Um, so, so yeah. Okay, and this might seem like an obvious question. Mm -hmm. Or an obvious point, but 445%, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's quite significant. So Good what, question, <laughs> So <laughs> That is heaps what, since 2000. Yeah, since 2000. So it's, it's about a um, 10, just over 10% growth each year. Um, and that compares to like an economic growth rate of, of just over 2% and a, um, and a population growth rate of just under 2%. So... It, the the growth of regulations is is um, far faster than the growth in population or the growth of the economy. Uh, the other thing and, I want to talk to you about. Oh, sorry, Pete, you go. That's all right, and that's just the federal act, isn't it? That's not any of the state acts as well. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, that's right. And it's not even all of the federal acts. It's just this one piece of legislation. Um, so it's the EPBC Act is our primary piece of legislation. Um, but yeah, there are a number of acts. Um, at the state level, at each state level, and a number of other federal acts. Um, but the other thing as well, that this 445% metric doesn't take into consideration and the fact that The Guardian just completely ignored is the report also looks at how complex the legislation is. So anecdotally, um, you know, people who have to deal with this act say that it's very complex and difficult to understand. Um, but what reg data actually allows us to do is provide some objective measures of that as well. And what we found is that the EPBC Act um, readers are more likely to encounter new words or concepts reading the EPBC Act than they are reading the original text of Romeo and Juliet. Um, so it's it's objectively a, a pretty complex, um, you know, piece of piece of legislation. 
Um, but yeah, that, that was part of the report was the complexity and part of it was the growth. Um, but yeah, that was all completely ignored in the Guardian hit piece. Yeah, when I was re- uh, proofreading some of this stuff, uh, sorry, this just popped into my head. You at one point go, it's more difficult to read. Than, oh, no, I think it contains more words than A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And then you write, who was paid to write per word? And I was like, yeah, what an absolute so- sniper shot at Dickens out of nowhere. <laughs> Dickens is actually my favourite author. So so um, I do quite like him. But yeah, so that was the the average sentence length, which is just another complexity measure um obviously the longer a sentence is in terms of words the you know more convoluted it is and the harder it is to understand and yes yeah, so the epbc act the sentences are, are substantially longer than um than the average dickens um All right, last thing last thing uh, we want to talk to and then we'll get over to anjali but pete and i are absolutely blown away by the economic updates that we've been putting out every day and if people haven't been seeing them they're all at ipa.org.au uh, which is just like every single bit measure taken anywhere in the world about coronavirus, and they're incredible to read. How on earth do you put them together every day? Because it's been um, my blown away. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, so it's me and Kurt Wallace, who's another research fellow at the RPA. Um, so when this all started to um, get underway, um, you know, our boss said that it might be a good idea to collate this information because it's a bit hard for everyone to be across everything. Um, so basically, every morning, wake up and um, read the, the Australian, the AFR, um, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal and the Times of England, um, kind of cover to cover, see what's out there. And then also, you know, go to a few other sites where we can or look for other articles about coronavirus. Um, and yeah, the big things we pick out are, are the economic um, updates. So if we see an article on, um, you know, congestion on roads in England, then that's probably a good indicator of how economic activity has fallen. Um, yeah, so it's just a lot of a lot of reading, and then we do also have help from other researchers at the IPA sending us pieces occasionally, and um, yeah, asking for you know saying this might be useful to include. Now, Anjali, you joined us on the show a few weeks ago, the Young IPA podcast. How has your life changed since then, and how are you dealing with your newfound fame? It hasn't changed too much, but I've oh, what? Losing our touch. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed having the opportunity to be able to speak about um, freedom and liberty on a on a public platform. So yeah, I've been very grateful to this newfound fame, if you could call it, call it that. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Uh, we loved the viral banter episode last week with the panel of women discussing uh, what liberty means for women around the world and the history uh, in that. What did you enjoy making about it? Because Pete and I loved watching it. Um, I really enjoyed actually being able to talk with um, my fellow colleagues because we've all had very different experiences as women and it was really interesting to gain their perspectives and also to talk about um, issues in freedom and how Western feminism has perhaps strayed too far from its original purpose. Um, so I've really, I really enjoyed um, being able to hear their experiences as well. So for those that don't know, uh, Viral Banter is a new product being put out by Generation Liberty uh, for young people about ideas around liberty, a bit of current affairs and stuff like that as well. Anjali, are there any other episode discussions that you're looking forward to? Um, I'm really looking forward to perhaps after the government starts to lift restrictions, what are our thoughts on that and, and our sort of critique of that. Um, and because that's going to be happening soon with the cabinet meeting on Friday, I'm looking forward to perhaps a future episode that looks into that. All right, brilliant. Uh, so, 
Sorry, I just realized I was looking over the quiz notes and the answer to one of the questions was wrong, so I'm just padding for myself. But <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I've got one more question now. for Anjali. If there you go. I've... That helps me a lot. <laughs> all right, Anjali, one more question. So earlier this week, we had Julia Sekulich on the show to discuss losing her job and her friends going through the same thing. Have you seen... She's obviously from Melbourne in Victoria. You're up in Sydney. Have you seen uh, any evidence of that amongst your friends? And also, I'm curious to know any young people that are breaking the lockdown... <laughs> um, well, to, cop. <laughs> to answer your first question, I have seen a lot of young people um, my age actually having lost their job, particularly because a lot of my friends are in sort of more junior roles that are um, more susceptible to insecurity. For example, I have a friend in retail and um, she didn't have a job for quite a few weeks, but now with things lifting, she's starting to be able to go back to work. But even in my industry, which is the legal industry, a lot of my friends have been laid off just as a result of um, business needs changing. Um, and in relation to your other question, which was, sorry. Uh, any of your mates breaking the lockdown, you know, like having parties and all that I sort of thing. I haven't seen too many of that. I have seen a lot of people out and about, um, probably not social distancing at my local parks and um, around. But I, I, I feel that I, I haven't heard of any parties going on, but I might be wrong. Great work, Anjali. Snitches get stitches. That's really good. <laughs> now, I also... so. If you haven't seen it, really check out the viral banter on Women in Liberty. It's fantastic. I've always wanted to steal feminist, uh, feminism off the postmodernists, so it's really great to do that. James, are you ready for the quiz yet? I am indeed. Thank you, Peter. So, uh, same rules as every week. So, if it's your first time, it's one point on for correct answers, one point off for incorrect answers. We've got nine questions and a who am I, which has like the five, four, three, two, one. So, question one, everyone. Oh, and uh, buzzers are your first name. So, just say your first name and then... Uh, we're good. Why don't I just switch my screen to the multi-view just so I can keep an eye on all of you? There did you go. tell them uh, they lose a point for wrong answer? You might have just I think that. I did say that, but uh, yeah, one point off for incorrect answers, just in case there was any confusion. All right. Uh, sorry, question one. What percentage of the Australian workforce is either employed by the government or is in receipt of unemployment? Yeah. Oh, no. So at the moment, it's 61%, but it's forecast to be 72%. The I'm almost tempted to give you an extra point for the flex on the forecast, but no. I'll accept the 61%. So one point off again. All right. Uh, according this to is a high-powered poll- quiz. Yeah. This, it, Pete's going to struggle on this one. Where are the questions is about a, maths? There is a question, Pete, that if you don't get it right, I'll be very disappointed in you. Okay. Uh, all right. So question two. According to our poll released on the weekend, uh, what percentage of Australians want petty lockdown restrictions eased? Uh, roof, roof. Roof, roof. why don't we go closest to the mark so Pete goes 74% isn't that it though (laughs) no (laughs) so it's not 74 (laughs) okay Uh, closest to the mark there's no points off so if anyone wants to put a guess in now's Uh, the time two thirds so about so 66 bit of a snake on Pete's guess so (laughs) 66.66 right Uh, I'm gonna go with 76 all right, uh, Anjali gets a point. It's forty-one uh, percent. This is the petty oh. lockdown restrictions ease, not. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So, question three: How many pieces of research did Peter Gregory use in his article in the Spectator Australia this week? <laughs> well, I'll let the others have a crack first because I definitely know the answer. Because uh, it it's a lot. everywhere over Pete's social media. For anyone, for anyone having a guess in this quiz on how many pieces of evidence there were in my piece this week, there was a lot. Okay. Um... I'm not Anyone sure. want to make a guess? <laughs> right, Pete, not a lot of Instagram followers 34. among here. 
34, okay. Uh, okay, it's not that good. <laughs> it was at least 686 words. Uh, 25? All right, well, uh, Pete, it tell was the people. 17. So, bit of a flex. <laughs> I actually think I, this is one of those ones where when you think you've got a really high number and then you tell someone to guess what it is and they go even higher and now this number you thought was really big actually seems pretty small. So I think sorry, I talked Pete. it up too much. That's all right. I yeah. talked it up too much. I was going to work out how many per... That's all right. I'll do it later. How many? All right, fair enough. Question four. Name one of the several MPs involved in the Will They Won't They Run for Eden Monaro this week. Oh, that's a good one. Is this uh, Tony Abbott? Well, Tony Abbott's oh, in there, sorry, so Keen, you get the point. Pardon, sorry? You get the point. So ah. Tony Abbott's, uh, you know, starting to get his name floated yeah, around in the rumours, so yeah. I'm definitely paying that one. All right, next question. What is, uh, this week it came out, uh, they did this like ratings thing. What's the most successful late night show in America? At the moment? Yeah. Wow. A lot of people. Got a few gags floating around, none of which are appropriate, but um, uh, <laughs> I have no idea. That's I have no idea. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I'll let the other guys have a guess. I don't uh, know. I wouldn't have a clue. I have no clue. <laughs> what right, is that? What, the... Oh, hang on. Can I Go. guess first? Because like, I've got some ideas. What is the late... Oh, no, I'll lose a point for you if it's wrong, don't I? Yeah. Okay, no no guess from me. <laughs> oh, what a... What a uh... Great journey you brought us on there, Pete. All right, it's a great <laughs> Gutfeld show on Fox News. So, yeah. you know, uh, interesting. All right, uh, the president we'll tweeted what? him during the week. He did, uh, mm. big time. All right, what is the name of the factory now dubbed Daniel Andrews Ruby Princess? Oh, I know what they make there. Ah, uh, it's um, no points for Ruth. that. Is this is this um? Sorry, could you clarify the question again? All right, uh, this, is why, this is why she's uh, going to be a good lawyer. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> I really feel like I'm on a witness stand right now. Uh, what is the name of the factory, which is now dubbed Daniel Andrews's Ru- Ruby Princess? So there was an outbreak there. Oh, the Cedar then- Meats. Bang. Anjali, Boom. point. I was going to say Cooper's Meatworks, so I'm glad that I didn't say that. That should give you a point off anyway, just <laughs> for being wrong. Uh, all right, uh, next question. So we got, uh, what is the name of the Chris Hemsworth film currently trending on Netflix? I think it's number two. Well, I don't have Netflix, so Ooh. I can't answer. Is that a flex? That's a bit Not of a flex, sure. isn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Can you actually repeat it? Because you broke out. You broke up a little bit there as you were saying uh, Sorry. Uh, what is the name of the Chris Hemsworth film, which is now trending on Netflix? I think it's number two. Ooh. Well, it's not the one about Michael Jordan. Nope. Because that's about Michael Jordan. Yeah, I have no idea, mate. I'm not a All big right. movie guy. Uh, really? Uh, so that is extraction. Okay, question eight. Who resigned in the UK after flouting lockdown restrictions to yeah. meet their mistress? Kian. Uh, Professor Neil Ferguson. That is correct. I assume we're going to talk about this earlier in the show, so I won't give you my thoughts on that at the moment. Fair enough. Sorry, Kian and Anjali, if you have any thoughts you want to uh, fire off about <laughs> Mr. Neil Ferguson, now's the time to do it. Uh, only to say they were listening to the wrong Neil Ferguson all along. There ah, boom, there it is. <laughs> There it all is. Right. What about you, uh, Anjali? All right. So, last question before we get into the Who Am I? The New York Times controversial 1619 project, which was sta- uh, which was like you know America's racist history, uh, slammed by historians for inaccuracy over the months, was awarded which prize this week? Ooh. Is it the Pulitzer Prize? It is the Pulitzer Prize. So just yeah. so you know, uh, you don't need to do any fact work, uh, fact checking to get the world's most prestigious journalism prize. So good on them. All right. Uh, I, could I, I could I say here, Bolt? Does every no. journalist? I reckon like ninety percent of journalists have 
awards, like Walkleys or Pulitzers or It's whatever. a very self-serving industry for sure. I think the only award you need is the Young IPA Podcast Hero of the Week. If you've got that, you've made it. So. <laughs> and, the no- and the Noble Prize for Journalism, which Trump was handing out the other week. Exactly right. Those yeah, are the sorry. You also need to get that one. All right. Uh, so now over to the Who Am I quick score check. Uh, we've got Pete on one, Anjali on two, Kian on four, Ooh. and uh, it's looking pretty good for Kian. So Who Am I? I was born 260 years ago in France this Wednesday. How many years ago? 262. Roof, roof. Roof, roof. Napoleon. It's not Napoleon, so point off for Pete. Damn it. That means like... Oh no, if I get it next time, I can still draw. You get it next time, you can do it. Take yep. it to a penalty shootout. Yes. Uh, any other guesses at the moment? I know who it is. Actually, know who it is. Well, you're yeah, going to have to wait till next time. No, okay. I, don't, I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Uh, for four points, I became a lawyer and journalist in 1783. Roof, roof. Roof, roof. Voltaire. No. Another point uh, off, Pete. I'm quitting. Say up. No, <laughs> Eric Cantona. No, just kidding. <laughs> Not Eric Hansen, that's another point off, Pete. <laughs> uh, any other guesses? Any other... How Man- many famous Manchester French United people can stars? there be? <laughs> no, no right, I'm uh, sure. For three points, I was elected to Parliament for the first time in 1789. Um, a, lot of, a lot of big thinking faces for people listening at home. I don't know. Lafayette. I just... Not Lafayette. Sorry, point off again. I'm out of old famous French people. They're my two. <laughs> All right. Uh, for two points, I was influential oh. in the Jacobin Club at the height of its power before I was executed. Oh, my God. This is the first time we've ever got to one point. This is huge. Is this one point? No, we got. if no one's getting in on this one, the next one's one point. Maybe we have <sighs> the first ever no one... No, because no one got Santa Claus. So, no one got the who? first time no when, we, when it was Santa Claus for the quiz, no one got it. So this would be the second time no one got the quiz. I can see why no one got Santa Claus. All right. Uh, one Nothing point. I led France through the terror in the French Revolution. Is it Robespierre then? Robespierre. Kian gets it. Kian gets a quiz. Well done, Kian. Uh, Boo. There you go. <laughs> I do know there Robespierre, actually. There you go. Well, Your fr- do you? Bolts sort of thought we knew more about the French French Revolution than we did. I'm not going to lie. On the website I used to find who died and who was born in this week for this part of the quiz, this week was slim pickings. <laughs> this is this is not a very good week for world history. They this, don't have to have died right this week. Or, or, or born, but I'm just saying this is a bit of a dead spot in the annals of world history. Anyway, so who won? Kian, I guess. Uh, Kian won the quiz, so thank you, Kian. And we've got more show for you coming up after this. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. All right, brilliant. That is it for the quiz. Let's go to my favorite segment, Pete's Not Fine, Around the World Global Edition uh, for Mm. a Friday show. Pete, hit us with uh, what you've been seeing. That's right. We like to go worldwide on Friday. And and to be honest, this is the biggest Pete's Not Fine we've ever done because of what has happened in the UK. I'm a little bit nervous. This is such a massive story. I'm surprised we didn't make the whole show about it. That's fine. Of course, Professor Neil Ferguson, the Mr. Lockdown, they called him in the UK, has stood down for the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies after it was revealed he had broken quarantine rules to see his married lover uh, twice. Now, he, Mr. Ferguson... Professor Ferguson uh, and his team of computer modelers at Imperial College in London had predicted that more than 500,000 people would die from coronavirus if they did nothing and convinced Boris Johnson to change from his original plan because he said that plan was going to kill 250,000 people. 
So bloody men, eh, James? Just can't <laughs> control themselves. If your uh, job, so if your job is to model what will happen with various behaviours, how could you not foresee what was going to happen? If you it's kept, called testing. You know, it's called A/B do- testing, Pete. <laughs> Doing the wild thing during quarantine when the British tabloid press is watching your every move does not appear to me to be a very good model. I, I think we found out who got on the phone with Daniel Andrews when visiting romantic partners was banned for five hours in Victoria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think yeah, he's yeah. like, look, I don't know where my life's going, but I definitely don't want to run up the, against Daniel Andrews later on. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. And his, uh, the woman he was seeing is called Antonia Starts. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, so she's an environmental activist, which kind of makes it, which shouldn't make any difference, but kind of makes it a bit worse. Uh, and Brendan O'Neill had a really good meme about this. He said the way, uh, which you should check out on his Insta page, the Twitter. Verbal meme. Here we go. Here we go. Well, it was all words, so it's. I should oh, be able okay. to. I, should be I able thought to you were going to do, gonna do the uh, um, the one where he's like looking over his shoulder at the new girl. I thought oh, you yeah. Describe that meme. <laughs> no, that's a good one too from Brendan O'Neill. But it was like the Twitterati, you know, single mum sits on a bench. Twitterati, you know, abuses her for killing people. Professor Ferguson breaks quarantine and everyone says, oh, how romantic. I don't know if anyone's saying how romantic. Well, it's just one of those ones where it's like, said, there's, been, there's been so many stories about uh, the, the people telling us to lock down and they're not lock downing themselves, like their health minister in Scotland and the New South Wales minister as well. And all those stories were like, really made me angry. And then this one just makes you laugh out loud, which I think <laughs> is just a nice welcome change of pace. It is like very, you know, the little people have a, one, one set of rules for the little people, but I don't have to follow those rules. I can <laughs> see my mistress. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, what else has happened, Pete? Well, guy tries to quarantine at Disneyland. You've been pushing for this one for a few days, I feel like. I want this guy on the show. Yeah, well, let's, you know, let's, let's tee it up. Florida deputies arrived, arrested an Alabama man. So he was out of state. Uh, living out his quarantine on a shuttered Disney World island, telling authorities it felt like a tropical paradise. Now, he said he'd been there since Monday or Tuesday. Couldn't remember what day he'd started there. Always a good sign. Uh, And he planned to camp there for a week, according to the arrest report. Also in the arrest report, Richard, so the bloke's name is Richard, Richard stated that he was unaware of that, that there were no trespasser signs everywhere, and that it looked like a tropical paradise. Pete, did you see what the island was called? Uh, I didn't see what the island it's was called. It's called Discovery Island. All right, he yeah. discovered it. Let okay. the man go. <laughs> oh, look, it's all right with me. I mean, if he's in, if he's enforcing if social the island was called it. Don't Trespass Island, and he trespassed, throw the book at him. But he, it's called Discovery Island. And the other thing is, so obviously Disneyland's closed at the moment, but this particular island has been closed since 1999. So it's been closed for 20 years. I reckon it's just up for grabs okay. again. <laughs> Terra Nullis. Yeah, well, it's, you know, let's not go down that rabbit hole, but um, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I just like, yeah, because he says, I didn't see any of the trespassing signs, which he absolutely did, and he didn't, like, they were addressing him uh, to say, get off the island over loudspeakers, he said, didn't understand, that was for me. I just like the absolute committing to, I don't know what I'm doing is wrong. I think there's something about Richard that might find sort of things like that a little bit difficult to understand, but... um. Yeah, there you go. That, that's my second one for this week. Uh, and you saw a third. Third one was our Queen. And as you know, James and listeners will know, I'm now a monarchist uh, after the Queen's speech. I've always been a Republican, but now I'm a monarchist. Actually, I get it now. I get it. Morgan Begg's really happy about that. Queen Elizabeth had a convo with our Prime Minister during the week, Scott Morrison, uh, about the COVID crisis. She's been doing the rounds with the Commonwealth on the blower, 
spoke to Jacinda Ardern the other day. Uh, and apparently, so Scott Morrison wrote on his social media, Her Majesty was very... Uh, I'll start from the start here. She was pleased how well Australia had handled the crisis and also how the nation was recovering from the summer of bushfires. And he went on to say Her Majesty was very pleased to hear our horse races were still running. Now, everyone knows that Queen Elizabeth is a massive horse race fan and a huge punter, I believe. Could be making that up. So, yeah, let's not go with that. But she's I think definitely that was horse- just an ad you saw. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely trains back horses. came out. Points bet came out with an ad which just showed her scouring the odds uh, as like a joke on that. I don't know if she's got a gambling problem. I'm not, I'm not saying Queen Elizabeth has a gambling, gambling problem. But, I know she's uh, like Michael Jordan. She just has a competitiveness problem. Yeah, she's just really competitive. That's how she got to the top. Yeah. Uh, now, so she's trained winners in Australia before. Apparently, Darren Hayes trained one of her horses to win at Sandown back in the day. And apparently, he received... So Darren Hayes is a horse trainer. Received a call from her while he was watching... Adelaide Crows play against GWS at Adelaide Oval after he just trained her first winner in Australia at the footy, enjoying himself. Queen's on the phone. Anyway, there you go. That's Pete's Not Fine for this week. Who's your favourite, James? Obviously, obviously the Florida guy. I just love that story. And I just... (laughs) Florida guy? Yeah, I just love the story. Mr. Lockdown. (laughs) Oh, yeah, true. The thing is, all I've been doing is reading the lockdown story. So it's a bit like story fatigue. Yeah, I get, I get it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm contemplating changing the name of this segment to the Professor, what is the Professor Neil Ferguson Memorial Award? Yeah, yeah. Is that all right? Let's do it. All right. Uh, last story we won. Uh, your favorite man gave a press conference in front of. Uh, well, you t- you tee it up, Pete, because this yeah, is okay. this is basically fan mail. This whole <laughs> this show is turned into Michael Gunner fan fan mail from Peter. Professor, Professor, Premier, not Premier. What's his, what are they called? Chief Minister Michael Gunner. Gets the best run you could possibly imagine on this show, from, especially for a Labor chief minister. I still haven't actually worked out any of his policies, except in relation to coronavirus. Now, he, as we know, go back into previous episodes to hear all the other stuff he's done, but he, they are opening their pubs on May 15 in the Northern Territory. They're set to open on May 15. He decided to have the press conference about that in front of a massive, massive towers of slabs, effectively. Slabs of froth, just to really ram home the point that the pubs are back open. He said, the beers are here and the jobs are back. There's a keg convoy rolling up the Stewart Highway, 175,000 litres of the good stuff. He's the the chief minister of that territory. (laughs) The good stuff's coming up the highway, boys. The phrase keg convoy uh, is... Convoy. Convoy. Keg convoy is such a glorious coupling of words. Yeah. Oh, he's a real words. Two of the great words in the English language put together at last. Kegs and convoys. Yeah. Yeah. At at some stage we'll get him on the show once we're so Pete can fan out to him. Yeah. (laughs) Face to face. Yeah. I hope I hope what I'm concerned about is our territorial listeners who actually know what this guy's like the rest of the time, jumping up and down, going, No, he's terrible. Can you guys stop? Yeah. So if that's the case. I know at least one person who's kind of wishing we stopped doing this segment, but (laughs) Yeah, uh, we'll, that's for another we'll bag him next week. We'll find something about him that's bad and bag him next week. Okay, cool. Um, that is it for the show this week. Stick around for another draft where Pete and I and research fellow Morgan Berg, who's been doing some awesome work on the COVID Safe Tracing app and all the privacy concerns that come along with that, uh, we are going to be drafting basically just the greatest band ever just mm. through individual members. So stick around for that if you're a music fan or just a fan of the podcast. Uh, but if not, uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week.
Stay up. Okay, last up on the show today, we are doing another draft. People seem to be really liking these, and I absolutely love making them. So we have research fellow Morgan Begg on the show with us today. Hi, good to be here. Uh, Morgan, the uh, basically the scourge of the government's tracing app, and you can see all of his good work <laughs> over on ipa.org.au. Uh, but Morgan came to us with an idea for a draft that, Morgan, uh, that we really liked. So basically, we're drafting a band, and... We have a spot for a singer, a guitar player, a bassist, drums, and then a fifth option, which is just a wild card. So another singer, another guitarist, just another, maybe another instrument or just someone producing. So mm. we go snake drafts. I reckon Morgs, your guest of the show, you go first. And oh, wow. Pete, because it. I'm just so absolutely confident in my draft here, <laughs> I'll let you have the second pick. I'm I, not I, even, I don't even care if I win or not. I just want just want to create my band and hear them play like i don't care about what you guys think but morgan has also got his first band t-shirt on isn't that right morgan yeah that's right so this is uh from eric clapton's tour uh of australia back in 2009 uh so i've, I've dug that out of the cupboard <laughs> well i don't i don't think i fit into my first band t-shirt but you look very smart mate uh, what would be your ta- first band yeah, t-shirt what, be? how long ago would that be Pete? I don't actually have many band t-shirts. About sort of six or seven years ago, I bought a DMA's polo and it was actually too small for me when I bought it. Uh, oh, that's just that's not a good go. start. I'd had a few froths and I just bought it anyway. And actually, I lost a whole lot of weight and I did fit into it, but now I've put on a few kegs and don't quite fit into it. But anyway, enough about my weight loss. Um, it's, it's good to hang on to those as a, as a goal. You sort of, yeah. that, that's your mission is to fit back into that shirt. That's right. Well, if I may flex, can I flex for a second? Yeah. No. The shirt that I'm wearing was one of those shirts. Kept mm. it in the thing. You're like one day yeah. back into yeah. this thing. So, yeah. <laughs> so let me flex. It, it work. I think it works. Or it's just a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, all right. So we got everything we need. Any more frou-frou at the top? I didn't know DMAs uh, had been going for six or seven years. Oh, yeah, that was well, one this... thing I was going to say is Pete said, I want to create this band because this week I've had the theory that Pete would just pick every single member of Oasis. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a lot of um, angsty 90s bangers. <laughs> <laughs> that, was more of a, that was more of a side interest for me. Britpop was yeah. my main love. Yeah, yeah, angsty right. 90s bangers, but that's a good point. Um, <laughs> when the Gallagher brothers doesn't make it, I will be astounded. So uh, I reckon Morgan kick us off. Uh, okay. Who's your number one overall pick? Um, I think I'll, I'll just I'll go in the order that you proposed. Um, and the man that's filling the vocals position uh, will be George Harrison. Oh, uh, interesting and, choice. Yeah. First yeah, up, so- don't forget Morgan. You got to pick people that other people aren't going to pick. I mean, sorry, okay. pick people that other people aren't going to steal. Do you know what I mean? Does that make yeah, sense yeah. what I just said? I, I think so. Well, I, I, I'll, you know, I'm, I'll just, I'll try and do what I think works best for my, <laughs> yeah. my style. Morgan's then, a professional, yeah. Vegas. Yeah. I, I'm going, I'm That's going not... first, so I'll just pick whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Very polite way of telling me. No, to get no, so, um, so no, no, uh, George Harrison, um, and in particular, what I'm thinking is George Harrison circa mid to late 1980s, uh, had a big comeback with the Cloud Nine album. Uh, spearheaded the tra- Travelling Wilburys, one of the greatest supergroups of all time. So if I'm making a supergroup here, I want the man who's led the best supergroup in history. Um, and Tom Petty actually describes uh, working with George Harrison as being, uh, he was unquestionably the leader of the Travelling Wilburys, but he had that uh, that ability as a leader 
to bring out the best in every other band member. Um, so I think that sort of that sort of as the core of the group that I want, that's the sort of personality I think I'd like. And it can't hurt to have a former Beatle in the songwriting room as yeah. well. So I, 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 I don't mind it. Wouldn't have been my first overall pick, but uh, yeah, there we go. All right, Pete, who have you got? I oh, think sorry, Morgan, just one fun. I wanted to mention this about George Harrison, but uh, he has this. Uh, I want that slide guitar. If you uh, listen to "Cheer Down" from the Lethal Weapon Two soundtrack, that's what that's the sound I want in this band. Sorry, Pete. Over to you. That's all right. Lethal that's Weapon good. Get a shout out. I'm yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was an important point. I think you're right about personality. I think personality is important in a band, and it certainly comes into my decision making process based on my favorite band of all time, which is Oasis. And of course, my first pick is Noel Gallagher, who was the songwriter for Oasis, uh, and I, I want him in there. he's playing guitar, or is he... Yeah, he's a guitarist. He's like a middle-of-the-road right. guitarist. He's nothing special, but he's obviously an amazing songwriter. I want to, My band is going to be kind of a Britpop amalgam thing with a few little twists, but Noel Gallagher, obviously, as the king of Britpop, is my first pick for the songwriting. Right. Don't mind it. Don't mind it at all. Speaking of songwriting, uh, my first pick is going to be the greatest songwriting duo in the history of mankind, and I'm very happy to welcome as singer Michael Jackson... And as my wildcard selection early on in the show, I'm going to use the producer, Quincy Jones. So oh. these are the two. They did the Thriller album. Quincy Jones has also done a bunch of other stuff. Who needs to know what Michael Jackson did in his career? So once I got these two, there's only so much thing. There's only so few things that can go wrong when you got these two in a, in a recording studio together. So Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson. So this made it, does that mean it's my, my heart just then started beating really fast when you said the greatest singer-songwriting combination of all time and I thought you were going to choose another singer-songwriter combination which is a key part of my lineup. So uh, Graham Coxon and Damon Albin? Nah. Should I... So is it my pick now? Yeah, yeah, your pick. Unless you want more, to hear Morgan's thoughts on your pick or... Well, if Morgan's got him, he can offer them, but... Uh, oh, that seems a fairly reasonable, solid first pick, so <laughs> good, good stuff. <laughs> All right, that's the second time I've tried to second guess Morgan on this show, and it hasn't worked out either time. <laughs> so have some more faith in Morgan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, my first choice, and I thought you were going to pick this. Sorry, my second choice is John Lennon. So what I want, oh, I want, yep. for for songwriting, you were talking about. I thought you were going to choose Lennon McCartney, uh, but I want John Lennon and to combine with Noel Gallagher to write songs because I think that Noel Gallagher wants to be John Lennon, but he's actually a bit more of a Paul McCartney and John Lennon is a bit more experimental uh, and is more enterprising and hardworking than Oasis were. Like the Beatles did 15 albums in seven years. Oasis did seven albums in like 15 years and mm. they're a lot more experimental at the Beatles and they evolved a lot more than Oasis did. And I think that would be good for Noel and I think that would be, I'd like to hear the songs that John Lennon, wrote, John Lennon and Noel Gallagher wrote together. What's John Lennon playing in this one? Where is he in the band? I just... Here's my wild card. I, I just bit of a multi instrumentalist. So, all right, yeah, I'll put you on the wild card spot. Sing a bit, piano, bit of guitar, whatever. He's yeah. basically the right songs. Strong choices. Strong choices. Uh, all right. Uh, Morgan, oh, back over to you. One more point, very yep. quickly. I think Noel Gallagher is a lot more po solid politically than he lets on. He's from <laughs> the working class of Manchester. He can't admit that he's a Tory, but he is. John Lennon's obviously a massive lefty, and I think that Noel could positively influence John Lennon's. Horrendous politics. Uh, all right. Sorry, I thought I stopped recording, but a zero just turned into an eight. So we're all good. So <laughs> fun fact. Uh, Morgan, back over to you for your next pick. Um, Two picks. I, 
got two picks. Oh, two. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll start off with uh, my lead guitarist. Uh, and of course, that'll be uh, the great man, Eric Clapton. Um, <laughs> you know, he's always on the, 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 the list of the greatest guitarists of all time. Um, I was just flicking through a, a Rolling Stones article. Um, and uh, this is the first sentence from Stephen Van Zandt. Uh, Eric Clapton is the most important and influential guitar player that has ever lived, is still living, or will ever live. Um, and finishes with, uh, every lead guitarist owes him a debt of gratitude. He wrote the fundamental language, the binary code, the DNA that everyone still uses to this day. Uh, and that's that's absolutely true. Um, what I like about that is Morgan pounded the table about three or four times <laughs> making that point. <laughs> so he's quite well, quiet just, up about it. Yeah. Every, everything we know about you know, rock guitar, um, you know, it all comes from him. Um, and it, it, he had, ver- you know, range and versatility. He could, you know, really shred it fast uh, or he could slow it down and uh, really accompany. Like, uh, listen to Layla uh, by Derek and the Dominoes. Um, you know, he, the first half of that song is really the, the howl of um, unrequited love. Um, but then in the piano melody, at the end, uh, the you know it just wouldn't be what it is without the guitar work still accompanying that uh, that section. Um, uh, oh, and I've got I've got a two. I've got a yeah, you got a bass player now. Okay, um, this might be a this might be a bit of an unknown one, uh, but it's a, a Welsh guitarist by the name of Pino Palladino. Um, uh, no, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, so neither. I for um, maybe maybe I'll ask the viewers. Pause the video, uh, open up a new tab and YouTube wherever I lay my hat. That's my home uh, by Paul Young. Um, and then, okay, you've done that. Now you're back. <laughs> and, Just by the way, Morgan does not have permission to tell the listeners to pause the video. Don't pause the video. <laughs> <laughs> you can come back and then, and then now you'll know what I'm talking about when I say uh, how his work as a bass guitarist can... Uh, really shape and define a song uh, as it as it did in that song. You could take that song and strip it just back to bass guitar and vocals, and it would still be uh, a, a chart topper. All right, there we go. Um, Pete, back over to Yuri. Still no singer picked, which is usually the most important part of a band. So, would be interesting to see if this gets what's done now. No, exactly right, James. I'm onto the singer now. The band is about the singer, Britpop especially, and, and rock and roll is the singer and the songwriting. I've got the songwriting covered and a bit of backup singing because they can both sing. But the singer I want to hear that Noel Gallagher and John Lennon write songs for is Tommy O'Dell from DMAs. I know what Neil, Noel Gallagher songs sound like when Liam Gallagher sings them, but I think that Thomas O'Dell is a different sort of voice to Liam Gallagher. He's a bit more mellow. And his personality is a bit less like of this sort of unvarnished masculine energy swagger that Noel Gallagher is. He's nothing like that at all. He's a lot more kind of like even shy. And he's got, a, I reckon, a sort of a broader soy voice. Boy. And a, What's that? Sorry? <laughs> so soy boy. Soy is, that, boy. is that what we're doing? Okay. Yeah, we're calling shy people <laughs> soy boys. Okay. Um, so, no. And I that's think you're doing. You said no, that's what you're doing. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not saying that at all. I um, don't recall that at all. Okay. Uh, well, luckily we record these podcasts, and um, and he is anyway. I want to hear them write songs for uh, for Tommy Adele because he's got I reckon he's got the best so- voice in freaking rock and roll in the world at the moment. Uh, okay, I got two here. So uh, how do I want to do this? Uh, all right, I'm going to go guitarist first, and 
uh, Morgan, you brought up Eric Clapton. Now, one one journalist once asked Eric Clapton, "What's it like being the greatest guitar player in the mm. world?" And Eric said, "Don't ask me, ask Prince." And yeah. that is who I'm picking with my next pick. Uh, yeah. People are starting to start to figure out the kind of band that I'm putting together. Very uh, funk, very R and B, very pop. Uh, Prince and Michael Jackson famously hated each other and I'm hoping this fuels them both to work harder than the other to make better songs a bit of a Beatles McCartney and Lennon situation yeah Yeah, they're both going to be bringing the heat so Michael Jackson Prince and Quincy Jones pretty happy with this Uh, bassist and drummer like I think we're all going to be hitting people uh, each other with people that we're not exactly aware of so I'm going to go with bassist Bootsy Collins who is an absolute legend of the game in funk circles. He was James Brown's bassist, then went over to Parliament and started doing his own stuff after that. So Bootsy Collins, that is my guy. And he has to bring the gigantic sunglasses with him. I love that. That Prince um, pick is uh, very worthy. He, he should really be a first-round pick in any sort of <laughs> rock yeah. music draft. Um, exactly. And he, was a, yeah. he played everything. He yeah. played, like he could do anything in a studio. Like, in the spirit want, of getting people want. to pause videos or pause podcasts and hit YouTube, look up uh, "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Yes, uh, at this like I, I can't remember what it is, but it's like a rock and roll anniversary concert. Yeah, but anyway, Prince is out of control on it. Yeah, and the best part is seeing like world class guitarists like Tom Petty just stand in absolute amazement of what's in going awe. on. And I think um, it, that that show, I think it was just after Rolling Stone. Rolling, like Rolling Stone magazine left him off a list of the greatest guitarists. And that was sort of like, that was seen as his response to the, yeah, <laughs> to the magazine. Brings the hate. Brings <laughs> he the just hate. like absolutely tore it to shreds. It was great. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Uh, Pete, back over to you. Yeah, right. So I don't, I don't care that much about drummers and bass players. So I just Googled who the best was in the world. And I've come up with, for bass player, I've come up with John Entwistle from The Who. I just reckon London's not that far. Yeah, from not bad, not bad. The northwest mm. of England, so it wouldn't be hard for him to get there. Almost chose the flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, yes. but it would just be a long way for him to travel and uh, <laughs> and different so vibe, different That's, vibe. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and yeah, Paul yeah. McCartney was a really good, was actually an underrated bass player. But I think once you've got McCartney and Lennon and Gallagher all writing songs, there's a lot of have, big, there's a lot of alpha dogs. There's a it'll lot just of alpha be dogs Lennon and McCartney again, and no one won't be able to get a look in. So Paul. He's not in there. That's my choice. And John Entwistle. Who had some absolute awesome bass lines back in the day as well. So, mm. good pick. Uh, Morgs, your last two. Drums and wildcard. Uh, so, had a bit more difficulty with these ones, I have to say. But uh, with the drums, I've decided to go with uh, Filthy Phil Collins. Um, <laughs> drummer of uh, Genesis. Great. Uh, just Exceptional solo career. Uh, I'd say Phil Collins circa 1980 to 1992. He had the absolute Midas touch, turned everything he touched, uh, turned into gold. Um, um, and uh, just a, you know, an example of his drum works is uh, drumming. He's uh, in the air tonight. That's the sort of staple. Um, but I would if cite... you don't know that drum breakdown by now, then you have been living under a rock. Yeah, you, you're just not aware of music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, and the wild card, I've actually, even though uh, there's a, a limited number of spots and I should probably pick another sort of musician. Oh, he is definitely a musician. So, I, But I've decided that the, the spot will be a producer um, and it will be Jeff Lynne. Uh, and so this is the... Uh, the the man that led uh, ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, in the 70s and 80s. Um, 
was the producer of uh, George Harrison uh, in the late 80s. So that that's a good collaborative uh, role there. Um, also produced the comebacks of um, uh, Roy Orbison, uh, Tom Petty, um, and uh, I'm leaving other names off, but he was just a, a super producer at that time and uh, did great work. So I, I think with this group, it would, it would be perfect for that. Yeah, I like it ties to a lot of people's creative outputs so I like it Pete your last pick last pick drummer doesn't really matter but I picked John Bonham from Led Zeppelin because once again he was listed as the best drummer in whatever list I've happened to stumble upon and also (laughs) it's a good pick first first Google result (laughs) he he lives nearby where the others live and he is obviously dead but he uh, died at 32 having had 40 shots of vodka so knows how to party yeah, and then uh, Led Zeppelin never got back together, so very, very <laughs> grim. But uh, yeah, John Bonham, that is a good pick because uh, that man can play drums. Uh, all right, my last pick is uh, also the drummer, so I just need someone who's going to fit in with the rest of these guys. And I'm going to pick Anderson Park, who is a bit of a Triple J darling at the moment. Uh, does a lot of R&B rap. Uh, pop, which is basically the vibe I'm going for here, and uh, started out uh, drumming in his church and drums on all his tracks. So Anderson Park is my pick. I've got five songwriters in here. I got five people that can bring all these different looks into the band. I'll tell you what, I want to see my band live most out of any of these guys because Michael Jackson, Prince, and Bootsy Collins. That's some good. That's some good live act right there. Yeah, I interestingly I didn't really think of the live aspect. I was thinking of. Um, who would work best in a studio, or who would yeah. who would produce albums? So, um, yeah, that 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 sort of explains some of my picks, I suppose. Um, uh, I, it's interesting how, aside from your pick of Prince, I don't think there was any real crossover between uh, any of our bands. There was uh, there, there <laughs> yeah. probably wasn't any danger of us stealing each other's picks. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. I was thinking like it's just going to be us just drafting for our own bands, making sure our own vision is captured because. Yeah. There's not a lot of chess being played here. It's it's more uh, Connect Four. We're just trying to get. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like choose your ultimate band. Also, yeah. no women, so we're all sexist. Well, even though I've had Stevie you know, Nicks was one of my backups. So yeah, don't. We should go through our sort of our you know honorable mentions, but it's yeah, honorable mentions. David Bowie and Paul McCartney not getting picked is quite that's something. huge. That is yeah. huge, yeah. And I talk about how my favourite bands are, you know, Split Ends and Crowded House, but not only have I not picked anyone from Australia or New Zealand, all of my picks have been from England and Wales. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my other one, Stevie Wonder was my backup wildcard if anyone took Quincy Jones. Uh, Keith Moon as a drummer. Yeah. No one took uh, possibly the greatest of all time. Sly Stone was going to be featuring if one of you guys took one of my picks. So I, was, I, I came prepared. I came prepared. I wanted to pick, I, got, I was... Considering um, Rick Allen from Def Leppard, he was the the one armed drummer. Oh yeah, yeah, just a, that's always uh, electric in the live shows when they just yeah. rotate the drums so you can see how he does it behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, yeah, I just I love that story. I just think that's awesome. Uh, also, Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits uh, was was probably my number, you know, six or seven. So. Oh, there you go, Pete. Any uh, honourable mentions from you? Well, Paul McCartney was was probably the one. Uh, uh, as I said, the flea. I almost picked Neil Pert as a drummer, mm. but I just reckon he lived too far away from the other guys. I like um, how Pete's so geographically minded about this. <laughs> like the rest of us are going for skill. You're just like, ah, oh, traffic. Well, I well, just this, bass and drummers, man. Who cares? It's actually not unreasonable because, you know, the, 
this time of quarantine and closed borders and everything, you probably geography is probably a big factor. If I mean, if, it's ha- if it happens today and we can resurrect all these artists who are. No uh, I think my life. guys are rich enough that they've all got home studios and can send files across pretty quickly. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Internet's still a thing, I guess. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Uh, all right, cool. So that is it for the show this week. So see you guys next week. Stay up. <laughs> <laughs>